Hello there, Dan Smeda here. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to talk about a syndrome that affects even well-meaning advisors called typical advisor syndrome. What are we going to do about that? Well, we're going to start with a story. Actually, a couple stories. I recently sat down to work with an advisor who was planning for an initial meeting with a prospect. And when I asked about the call outcomes, right, what if the first meeting goes well, what next? The advisor said, well, of course, presenting recommendations would be the subject of the next meeting after that. When I asked why that was the case, the advisor said, well, that's the way it typically happens. And that's true. Here's another true story. A client once asked me to help them prepare and execute a major presentation for a prospect. This was a corporate client. When we got together, the first thing the VP of sales did was open up a draft PowerPoint deck and start going through it. And when I asked why the PowerPoint was the basis of the meeting, the VP said, well, that's the way these presentations always go. That's sort of true, too. One other true story, I once sat in the customer's shoes. Uh, I was, used to be the member of the school board in Prescott, Wisconsin, and we had uh, three different financial services companies uh, come in and compete for an open payroll slot in our district's uh, 403B plan. All three of these companies had a PowerPoint deck. They all had it customized with our logo. And the first 10 slides of each presentation were interchangeable to the point of almost being indistinguishable. In other words, they were typical. And that's what we're talking about in this podcast today. The problem with typical, otherwise known as the curse of typical advisor syndrome. We're going to talk today about what is it and what do you do about it. So let's start there. Uh, first, the clinical. Typical advisor syndrome, or TAS, is a common and highly contagious syndrome usually spread through contact with other typical advisors and salespeople. Simply put, typical advisor syndrome is salesy behaviors that undermine your credibility as an advisor. And TAS results in completely predictable selling. Side effects include the inability to differentiate from your competition, client disinterest or disengagement, and feature vomiting. <laughs> And without treatment or a big dose of good luck, TAS can be very harmful, if not fatal, to your practice and your career. The first little history lesson, typical advisor syndrome has been a fact of life in commodity or transactional sales forever. It's been a benign condition, though, because where products are the difference, salespeople don't have to be. So if you're repping the best product and it's uniquely different, then okay. But in many of today's more complex situations, sellers are required to differentiate through process and consultation and brokering of resources. That's where TAS can be a very limiting condition. And you know where typical advisor syndrome is fatal? It's in jobs where you are part of the product, like your job as a financial advisor. You're competing, not just against robo-advisors and the platforms and Vanguard, but you're competing against other reps from other firms, most of which are mostly the same as yours. You either have to be a part of the difference or you're part of the sameness and you're dependent on the firm or products for your success. 
here's how it happens. First, all of us generally repeat things without thinking too critically about them. Why? Because we mistake correlation with causation. In other words, I made a sale and I did this thing versus I made a sale because I did this thing. That's a difference. For example, once upon a time, someone asked a client, so what's keeping you up at night? And uh, they made a sale in that same call. Now that person asks that question all the time. What's keeping you up at night? It becomes a staple of their conversations. Another thing that happens is that we emulate the examples in our lives. If you saw someone earlier in your career asking what's keeping you up at night, or you read it in a sales training book, now you're more likely to use it. Why? It's easier, right? Our brains want to take that most efficient route to best practices. The problem is that it's not. You're taking a question that doesn't necessarily cause success and using it as if it does. And do you really want to be asking questions that everyone else asks, especially since they probably aren't causing sales? Well, Dan, you're thinking, I don't ask the sleepless question. And of course not. You're smarter than that. But we all have our version of that cliche question. Here's how I know and how you might know. Write down your favorite five questions you typically ask a prospective client in your first meeting. Do it quickly. Don't overthink it. Write down the questions you always ask in a first meeting. Hit pause if you need to. There you go. Now go back to that list and ask yourself, if my client interviewed 10 other advisors today, how many of these questions would they be asked? Those questions, the ones that pop up in more advisor meetings than just yours, those are the cliche questions or the version of what keeps you up at night. Now, I understand that these questions aren't wrong. They're necessary and they're probably good questions. That's not the problem whether they're good or not. It's that if your approach to these meetings is not differentiated, neither are you. And in the big picture today, asking typical questions and being typical actually reinforces a commoditized buying process for clients. Clients end up requiring some of the behaviors they see. They expect you to rush to recommendations. They expect to be pitched. They expect salesy behaviors. And thus, they grant less access and force us into a reactive process. And everyone is not served in that process. So what can you do about this silent practice killer? We're going to talk about prevention and cure of typical advisor syndrome. These are easy-seeming steps that aren't actually easy at all. Right? Simple, but not easy, as usual. The first part is a mindset. You've got to start from conviction. The folks who are willing to apply the strategies I'm going to share are folks who believe in process and care enough about getting client results that they're willing to challenge convention and not just do what they've seen. All right, let's look at some strategies. Uh, the first is avoiding salesy questions. One result of typical advisors roaming the earth is clients now brace themselves for questions that they typically get from advisors. And I've heard a lot of clients actually offer very well-rehearsed answers to questions they get all the time from advisors. Hmm. Here's an example. Leading the witness or hurting the client. 
If you already know the answer you want to hear and the purpose of the question is to elicit that response, you are leading the witness or hurting clients down a path using closed-ended questions like, wouldn't you agree or would it be fair to say, yeah, I don't know about those. Take all your wouldn't you agree and wouldn't it be fair to say questions and toss them aside. Even though you're hurting the client down the path you want and that's ultimately good for them, perhaps, they don't like it. Clients don't like that and they're bracing for your salesy questions. And if the client is bracing for it, don't do it. Here's another example. Objection handling. If you've read up or been trained on the topic of objection handling at all, your most likely response to a client's fee concerns, whether they're yours or about a product, is you're either going to explain why or compare value to other options, either explanatory, comparative, or both. But what you're doing is you're rebutting the client's fee concerns or objection, and that's typical and that's salesy, and that's actually what clients are bracing for. So instead, don't rebut the objection. Instead, take it in. Try to understand it and where it's coming from. And most importantly, try to understand what clients need in order to get to a proper valuation of fees. That's different than objection handling, and that's not typical. You're avoiding TAS. Here's another example. Folks who are suffering from typical advisor syndrome often offer their own value judgment. We, they put adjectives with their nouns. Instead of talking about a deal, they'll call it a good deal or a great opportunity versus a deal or an opportunity. And you know, clients want to be the judge of that, and they will be the judge of that, whether you like it or not. So instead of being typical there, the atypical alternative is simply withholding your own value judgment. Instead, ask clients about theirs. It sounds easy, right? Replacing your statement with a question about their value judgment and their opinion. Because it is simple, but it's not easy at all. You're fighting your own nature and most of the training and examples you've been exposed to, most likely. So we're talking about disarming, getting clients to put down the shield, and that's really it, right? It's, you know what causes people to put up the shield? It's when they feel like they need to arm themselves against salesy behavior. And one of the salesiest pieces of behavior you can offer is premature solutioning or early recommendations or advice. There's a real fork in the road where average sellers start presenting and great sellers keep asking. And it's where assumptions start to come in. You hear data, you think you have a need. You think you've got the picture before clients are sure that you've got the picture. And so we offer recommendations or advice or ideas too soon. And because the path of premature solutioning is so typical, the path of deeper questioning is often disarming simply by virtue of being completely atypical. Here's what I mean. Have you ever had an initial discovery meeting with a prospect and scheduled a second meeting to share your findings and recommendations, except when you started preparing for the next meeting, you had a couple of holes in your discovery, or you had this little concern in the back of your head that you might not have built sufficient rapport for them to be ready to digest your recommendations. Hmm, I wonder if that's ever happened because you've reflexively promised recommendations in your next meeting because that's what you typically do. 
If you're like most of us, that has happened. Why? Typical. So it takes some effort, but the best advisors I see will propose additional discovery when warranted. They'll ask for additional time and actually extend their cycles because they need to get to know clients and their needs. And most importantly, top advisors will keep engaging until they're sure it's time to deliver and that they can deliver value and that clients trust that process, not just because they're supposed to have ideas. So the key to all this is asking uniquely valuable questions. Have you ever had this happen? I love these moments. You ask a question and three things happen in rapid succession. First, the client pauses. And then you see their eyes rolling around as they look up and around trying to formulate an answer. That's actually them retrieving and creating information right, to answer your question, which means it's not rote. They might even say something like, hmm, that's a good question. You know, those responses tell me I'm asking uniquely valuable questions and I'm probably breaking trail where few or no advisors have trod. That's important because that's not typical. And possibly the most important thing you can do to differentiate yourself from the animals is to ask uniquely valuable questions and spend enough time engaging in order to really build that trust. Finally, you've got to deliver on that difference. Choosing the atypical path does carry a little bit of risk. You're forcing clients to adjust. Change is hard. There better be some value in it for them. If you're going to ask more questions, you've got to make them count. If, you've got to, if you're going to spend more time engaging, have it be valuable engaging on their needs. The bottom line is salesy behavior is typical advisor syndrome in action. If you can just be, avoid being salesy, you're starting down an atypical path and you'll stand out among similar options. And here's the good news. With self-awareness, good strategies, and smart meeting planning, you can avoid typical advisor syndrome and its negative effects on your client relationships. Choose the atypical path, differentiate in the client experience, and look at the results you get in terms of new client development, new business de development, and relationship growth. That's the story for this time. Good luck. We'll see you next time.